Welcome this morning. I'm excited to be with you. Uh, first things first, I want to welcome in our uh, Long Beach Wiggins and Ocean Springs location. Come on, Gulf Fork, can we give it up? It's good, all of us, to be here together this morning. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm the senior pastor here at Northwood Church. And in case it's your first time here, it's good to see you. In case it's your first time watching online, it's good to see you, uh, sort of. <laughs> But uh, we are excited. Yes, we're excited about today's start of a new series, Loving Logic. And, uh, you know, today's series has kind of been a couple of years in the making. A lot of the things that we're going to be talking about over the next seven weeks, we've been preparing for and, uh, and, and studying uh, uh, and, and discussing a lot. I mean, I don't know how many hours we've been discussing a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about. Um, and so, uh, so I'm really honored to be able to, to bring the first week of this series. You know, our mission at Northwood Church, we actually shared it last week. Our mission is to build Christ-centered communities to help people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. And this series reflects that. This series reflects that. We are wanting to help you know God grow in Christ and go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that comes through helping you to understand our culture and, uh, and what the Bible says about the things that we're dealing with in our culture. We say like this, we wanna help you know God's heart for our world and, um, and understand what the word of God says about our culture. And that can be difficult. That can be difficult because the enemy has uh, the same plans, but he deals them to us in new packages. All right, so a lot of the things that we're gonna talk about are not brand new in regards to like it's the first time that you've ever heard of them, but uh, they, they are gonna be coming in a new package. And so we want to sort of like pull the curtains back on these things to help you know God and continue to grow in Christ and continue to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, so that's what we're gonna do here in this series. So um, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be taking a seat because I'm gonna be real with you. I've got a lot of content to go through. And uh, so it helps me to kind of stay focused in. That way we're not here for an hour and a half. Uh, I did a hot topic series back or a, a class back in uh, the spring. How many of y'all were in here were in the hot topics? Quite a few, okay, yeah. Yeah, I know uh, we had somebody from every location there. And um, man, those nights went on for uh, two, two, sometimes two and a half hours. So we're not gonna be doing that here this morning. <laughs> So be grateful, you know, that we're, uh, that we're, but I tell you, it was good. It was a good time. We had a good time and uh, we, we got to go really, really deep, right? And how many of y'all, y'all like to go deep? You know, I like to go deep into subjects. Quite a few of you. So this is gonna be a great series for you. But, but we wanna help you know God's heart for our world and understand what the word of God says about our culture. And this is, uh, this is really like Paul's heart. Um, in, in the book of Colossians, he writes a letter to the church in Colossae and actually, just to let you guys know, after this series is done, whenever we get into October, we are gonna be spending October, November, and December in the book of Colossians. And it's sort of, it's not the same exact series, but it is sort of the other angle on this series. Um, uh, and, and how many of you remember the series that we did, What Do You Believe, a couple years ago, right? What Do You Believe? That was kind of like a, a theological, apologetic approach to why we believe what we believe. This is what I would consider to be like more of a cultural apologetic, which is kind of looking at culture and sort of decoding what culture is saying and how they maybe are approaching scripture and uh, sort of reinterpreting scripture, reconsidering. There's a lot of key words that you'll, uh, that you'll learn over the course of the series um, so that we can know uh, kind of how to defend our faith. Did you know that your faith is reasonable? 
Okay, your faith is reasonable. Uh, the Bible says that we should be able to give a reason for the hope that's within us. And that's sort of the root scripture for apologetics, which is what we're gonna be uh, studying over the next few weeks. And so uh, Paul, his heart for the Colossians is really expressed in, uh, expressed in Colossians chapter two. It says this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So if you're wondering what the mystery of God is, it is Christ, okay? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Let's go back to Genesis 1. What did everybody want to know? What did Adam and Eve want to know? They wanted to have the knowledge of good and evil. We've all been on a journey for knowledge and wisdom. It's always been that way. And uh, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this, Paul says this in order that no one may delude you. Okay, now what that means is to literally make you delusional, all right, to delude you with Plausible arguments, plausible arguments. So, so arguments that make sense. All right, y'all following this. He's being very specific. Like, hey, don't let people make you delusional with arguments that actually make sense. Okay, plausible arguments. They're arguments that make sense, but they ultimately, they ultimately lead to death. And so in Colossians 2 verse 8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. These are some key statements that we must remember as we approach this series. We're gonna, we're gonna read and reread these scriptures a whole lot through these series, but there's key statements. Uh, take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, all right, deceitful ways that are according to human tradition, that are full of humanism, that are according to the elemental spirits of the world, that are full of naturalism, okay? Humanism and naturalism has been around since the beginning, but again, it comes in different packages. And so Paul's warning is needed for us today. These scriptures are just as relevant today as they were a couple of thousand years ago, and we need to know the empty and deceitful uh, philosophies of our present day. Now, side note, uh, deceitful philosophies are deceitful because they have elements of truth in them. That's what makes them deceitful. That's what makes them uh, have the ability to deceive us, is that they, they actually make sense, all right? They're, they're plausible arguments, but they're fatally flawed. And so we are, again, we're trying to kind of pull back the curtains on these deceitful philosophies that are, that are permeate, permeating our society, and not just permeating our society, but permeating the church, all right? And so our goal in this series is to be informed, informed and equipped to hold fast to and declare biblical truth in a loving and logical way. We call it loving logic because we wanna have logic, okay? We wanna have a, a logical reason for the, 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 the way that we, we believe, but we wanna have a loving logic. There's a lot of people who are really good at defending what they believe, but they defend it in a very uh, unsavory way. 
in a way that people make it, it's difficult for people to receive what they're saying because they don't say it the right way. But also what I find is that a lot of people don't say it the right way because they don't really have a handle on what they believe. And so how many of you know, if you don't know what you believe about something, if you just say it really loud and like you poke your chest out and you, you have a lot of sarcasm with it, that people are like, oh, wow, he, he really must know what he's talking about. No, not, not necessarily. It's just that he just kind of, he punched you in the nose in the debate and kind of caught you off balance. And now you're like, oh, wow. And you know, what I find is that most people, especially Christians, are, are very hesitant to share a lot of things about their faith because they're scared that they're not gonna know the right answer. They're scared that they're gonna get in a conversation, not know the right answer, feel exposed, and then they feel like maybe their faith is not legit, their faith is not real, and uh, so they'd rather just kind of play it safe and say, like, agree with very easy things to say, like, God loves you. And I don't know about all those, I'm not a theologian, but God loves you, and that's all, you know, that's the main thing. And although that may be true, I'm gonna tell you something, especially young people, the, the arguments that are being dealt out there um, uh, crush that argument. And so what happens is, as we are in this age of, of information and really the age of contextualization of information, whoever is contextualizing that information wins. And unfortunately, the world typically does a really good job of, of narration and, and describing what it believes in the philosophies of the world much better than the church does. And so we're kind of always lagging behind. And so a lot of the things that we're gonna talk about you're not gonna find a ton of books out there about. You're not gonna find a ton of message series. Or I guarantee you that the, 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 uh, the sermons that you listen to from really famous preachers, they're probably not discussing the things that we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks because they're very hot topics. It's uh, very theological. And to be honest with you, it's pretty heady. There's a lot of stuff that you have to listen to and, and concepts that you must grasp. And to be real with you, most people are not that committed. Most people come to church because they want something easy to understand that they're gonna be able to apply to Monday morning that's gonna help them handle their finances better. And the stuff that we're gonna talk about is not built for that. It's built for you to be able to, be able to like, like believe with you what you believe. There's, a, there's, an, there's an experiential side of belief, but there's an intellectual side of belief. And Paul was very intellectual, he was very spiritual, he was very expressive, but he was very intellectual, he would debate why? Because the world has a way of thinking. Listen, y'all remember with Moses, uh, uh, they, you know, Aaron, he throws down the, uh, the rod on the, on the steps there with Pharaoh and, and, you know, the rod turns into a serpent and it's like, wow, that's what a big deal. And then the magicians came and did the same thing. That is what happens philosophically. The enemy is able to, uh, to uh, uh, create a philosophy and create truth alongside that runs parallel with what we believe. And uh, for most people, it looks very similar. The thing is, is that I believe that if you look, you know, you'll see that the, you know, Moses's serpent, okay, ends up swallowing up the other ones. And so sometimes we're like, wow, that's a really good argument. Give it time. All right. It'll get swallowed up. Don't worry. But we've got to know what we believe because there's collateral damage in this time. A lot of you have, maybe that's part of your story, that you've encountered uh, arguments and debates. You've, you've been kind of in this arena, and it's really affected your faith in a negative way. And so what I want to be able to do is, is, is have a church where we speak about these things 
to equip and inform, like we just said, not only the, the, the younger people, but the older people, like everybody. Because sometimes it's like older people, you sort of get settled in your ways and you're like, hey man, I'm good. But did you know that you need to know what's going on in culture today so that way you can uh, contextualize what you know, your faith and your experience that you have, contextualize it for the next generation? It's really important that we're all on the same page here. And so, so that's our goal, to be informed and equipped. And we wanna do that in a loving and logical way. So what's the problem that we're facing? What's the problem that we're facing? We are facing a dilution of the doctrine and practice of Christianity, as well as an erosion of the foundations of the reliability and authority of the Bible. That's what we're facing. And uh, this is called progressive Christianity. And that's really, that is honestly, we're taking a sniper rifle out (laughs) and we're scoping up progressive Christianity and we're gonna take one big shot at this thing over the next seven weeks. And uh, it's called Progressive Christianity and it's about progressing past the, the rigid and traditional beliefs. Now, um, you know, in our Hot Topics class that we actually talked about this and one thing that I sort of uh, uh, illustrated, or I give an illustration was this. I am not saying that what we are facing with Progressive Christianity is something that we can necessarily fight and win I'm saying that there is a tidal wave coming, a progressive thought in the church that we are to create a strong base for and prepare for and brace ourselves for. We're not gonna stop this type of ideology. We're not gonna, you know what I'm saying? But we can, we can, we can hunker down and we can know what we believe and we can withstand the onslaught of it. That might sound alarmist, that might sound kind of negative, but honestly, y'all, that's how I feel about it. There are certain things that are being said nowadays that are taking root in our culture that are literally, ch- our culture is changing and we're not gonna go back to some sort of other way of thinking. We are going forward, okay? And so this thinking is coming at us and we've got to be uh, uh, strong in why we believe what we believe and exposing the lies of the enemy. So it's called progressive Christianity. Now here's the deal, some of you, you might not know what that phrase means, but if you're on TikTok or anything else then you've probably seen it left and right or at least you've been exposed to these ideas. So I wanna give you a quick uh, video to sort of illustrate what this looks like. Let's go ahead and show that. Everyone cherry picks the Bible. No one takes all of the Bible literally. No one takes all of the commands and obeys them. And that's not what the Bible is meant to be. The Bible is not a rule book for our life. It's not a guide of absolute truth. It's a book of the unfolding story of people and our relationship with God. We look to the Bible as a way to learn more about who we are as people and who God is. We learn about the mistakes we've made in the past and the mistakes we continue to make in our present day. The Bible isn't meant to be the final word on our lives. It's meant to be the launching pad for our faith and a guide to help point us in the right direction towards an abundant life. Too many people idolize the Bible and believe that you need to take everything literally. But actually the people who say that only take the things that justify their political beliefs and their religious beliefs seriously. Like conservatives don't believe in turning the other cheek and being pacifists. That's cherry picking too. Man, that, it makes a lot of sense. There, there's, there's parts of truth in what he said. Did you feel yourself like one thing he would say, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden he said something else and you're like, wait, wait, uh, 
Wait, wait, go back, go back to that thing. Uh, say that again. You know what I'm saying? And then it goes on. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's another thing. It's like that felt weird. I don't know if I agree or just do. Pastor Jordan, do we agree with that? Um, you know what I'm saying? It's like I'm not really quite sure. And then it's like in one clip, it's edited together. It's well scripted. And honestly, for a lot of you who are younger, maybe new to your, new to your faith, you listen to that and you're like, yeah, I think I believe that. And then all of a sudden, you begin to like you like and subscribe, and then and then and then <laughs> and then this thing begins to this this doctrine indoctrination begins to wash over you, and before you know it, you're beginning to repeat these statements like uh, everyone cherry picks verses. Well, you know what? A lot of people do. So it's not completely false, but that is the first step in the logic towards undermining the fact that, I believe you said later, it's not absolute truth. So you see these, these steps are taken to erode and take shots at the actual reliability and authority of the Bible. And you might not know that because there's a funny song playing in the background and it seems so unassuming. And there's this nice little guy, right? He's talking. But what he's speaking is heretical. And if you don't know it, you don't know it. And you're just eating it, you know what I'm saying? It, and it tastes so good, but it's weakening your faith. And so, I mean, he says things like it's, it's, it's not meant to be the final word. People idolize the Bible. These are all things that are just taking shots. And uh, especially if you're you know, a younger person and you're on TikTok, these, these are the types of things that you can fall into and all of a sudden your, your algorithm starts just feeding you more, feeding you more. And before you know it, Whenever you sit in a service like this and you listen to somebody like me talk, I sound antiquated, traditional, and I, I, you know, I don't have a funny song you know, playing behind me. And so it's hard to like, you know, keep up. And you're like, ah, I like my TikTok guy better. But that's what happens. And so, um, so again, odds are you've already been exposed to these ideas. I was having a conversation last week with a couple buddies, and um, I, I was kind of talking about the series, and they were like, you know, I'm not really sure what that means. And then we started talking, and I said a couple of more ideas, and uh, one of the guys kind of started riffing off, off of it, and he was, like, he was like, so like this, this, and this? I'm like, that's exactly what we're gonna be talking about. I said, see, man, you've been exposed to these ideas, and they're in your mind, in all of our minds, and if it's not identified, we won't know it, and we'll just continue fall, to fall for the same uh, philosophies. And so, uh, so odds are we've been, we've been exposed to these things. And so over the next seven weeks, we'll be discussing 10 statements made by a, a progressive Christian leader named Philip Gully. And uh, he has a book called If the Church Were Christian, which is such a great title of a book, right? But he's a progressive Christian like thought leader. And the book was written about 13 years ago. And uh, by the way, like the things that he states, we do not align with, we, we don't agree with. But whenever you read a book by someone that you disagree with, you're able to, to understand their train of thought, which is extremely important when it comes to knowing why you disagree with someone. You need to understand how they think first before you just haul off and start saying, no, no, I disagree. And you don't actually know why you disagree. Okay, that's really poor debating skills. But, uh, but, but reading a book like his, it, it helps you understand the train of thought. And there is a logic to it, okay? But it's not biblical, okay? It's not biblical. And so we need to kind of see those, those things clearly. But in order to understand the progressive Christianity, we need to understand how it has come to be. Where did it come from, right? Well, every society is built on philosophy. Every society. 
all of you have a philosophy about a lot of different things. You have a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of approaching things. And as a culture, collectively, we sort of, we're built on a philosophy. We have a philosophy uh, around art and values, education, politics. There is a, there's a philosophical approach to these things. And philosophy comes from two Greek words which mean love of wisdom. And again, we talked a little bit about that a second ago about everybody's looking and searching for what is good and true. And also what is good and true for a society. What's the best way for a society to operate? Let's adopt that way so everybody's happy and whole and it's, it's all good. You know, the, the thing is what is that philosophy based on? What's the foundation of that philosophy? Philosophy is, is uh, how you think about ethics and thought and existence, time, meaning, and value. And again, every society has this. Every society has it, but also every era, every time. There's, there's, there's pre-modern, modern, and post-modern. And nowadays, guys, we're in post-modernity, which we're not really getting into that into this series, but, uh, but we are in a, a different time. And, and it's the way that you approach things. And so you might be talking to somebody that has more of a modern mindset, but you have a postmodern mindset and you're actually speaking two different languages because you have a different philosophy or a different approach. You really have a different logic, which leads to a different philosophy, which then leads to a different ideology. And this is the way that we put that. Logic is basically the process by which someone comes to a philosophy and leads to a conclusion or an ideology. Now, if you've taken a philosophy class or you've studied this a lot, you know that there's a ton of overlap in these ideas. But generally speaking, I think this is a kind of a good working understanding of these three things. So when we talk about a loving logic, that logic is what leads to a philosophy and that, that leads to an ideology, which is kind of more your conclusion. It's more like the foundation of what you, like that's the answers that you give. For every answer that somebody gives, they've had, they have a working philosophy that has a logic that precedes it. That, that's how they come to those conclusions. So you might think, you might just say something like this. Well, I think this. The question is, why do you think that? What's the building blocks that you came to that conclusion? And most of the time, we don't actually know. We don't actually know. It might be regurgitated information, like my pastor told me one time, but did you actually go read that scripture? Like, do you actually know that for yourself or are you just kind of on repeat? You know what I'm saying? And so, so these things are important. But um, R.C. Sproul said this, and uh, he's from, uh, he, he started Ligonier Ministries years ago. To understand the culture in which we live, you need to be familiar with the ideas that have shaped it. So to, be, to really know what's going on in our culture that we live in, we have to know the ideas that have shaped it. And so here's the question, and I want you to think about this question. What or who is informing your philosophy? What's informing the way that you think? A person, maybe a book, Experience, what or who is informing your philosophy? There have always been thought leaders that have shaped society, whether we know them by name or not. Philip Gully, we just mentioned him, he's a thought leader. There's always been people underneath who are fueling the ideas and the thoughts that we have as a culture. And so what happens is the philosophies of thought leaders begin to absorb into a society without people realizing it. So you don't even know, you don't know their names, but they begin, to, you're absorbing them without even realizing it. It's sort of like knowing a popular song, but not knowing the person that actually wrote it. Come on, right? 
Like you're singing along, but you have no idea who actually wrote it. So, all right, we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna have some fun. I'm gonna wake some of you up because already some of you are like, oh my God, what did you just say? You know what I'm saying? It's 10:14, and we usually go like till you know, a little bit later than this, right? Whatever. So, so, so this is what we're gonna do. It's a little bit name that tune, all right? So we're gonna play a song here in a second. I want y'all to tell me who sings that song, and then, and then we're gonna go from there. Okay, y'all ready? You ready? All right, let's play the first song. Uh, uh. Yeah? Can't stop the feeling. All right. <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't know we were gonna stop right there. I, wouldn't, <laughs> I was committed, though. So, <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Oh, I just wasn't warmed up. That's why that, uh-uh. Can't stop. There it is. Can't stop the feeling. Uh, that's the highest note I can sing. Who sings that song, y'all? Oh, man, let's, let's, let's see a picture of old Justin. Where's JT at? Look at him. All right, we're not going to keep him up very long. He's too good looking. He is too good looking. All right, let's play the next song. Play the next song. All right, we're good, we're good, we get that. I'm not gonna sing that song. I'm not gonna sing that song. Who's that? Come on. It's Taylor Swift. Let's see Taylor Swift. Look at her, that's back in the day. She don't look like that anymore. Anyway, <laughs> I like her old stuff, you know what I'm saying? Um, I, my daughter can't listen to her new stuff. Anyway, all right, so, so Taylor Swift, everybody, let's play the next song. What's the next song? Ah, oh, come on. Bon Jovi, that's right, right, it's my life. Let's see a picture, of, yeah, that's in the good old days. Man, that just feels like the 90s, like alternative right there, you know what I'm saying? Like just right next to like fuel or something like that, I don't know, but. Uh, <laughs> or song like this. No, no alternative rock people? Come on, man. Can you take me higher? Yeah, it's kind of back in that era. That was good times, man. Anyway, you guys know all these people, but here's my question. Do you know who actually wrote these songs? Put up the next picture, put up the next picture. Do you guys know who this guy is? Come on, one person. There's not one person. This guy's name is Max Martin. He wrote all those songs you just listened to. He's also really, he's known like in the industry as the real king of pop. He's written songs for like the last 30 years, like top of the chart, top of the chart, over and over and over. And he's making a lot of money off of it, but nobody knows his name. But he's writing the songs, man. See, okay, so we dance to the philosophical songs of people that we don't even know. However, we do listen to more popular people that express these ideas in a more attractive way. If he got up and sang, you know, can't stop the dude. If he got up and sang that, you'd be like, who's this guy, you know what I'm saying? But JT gets up and sing it and everybody's like, oh my God, you know? Why, because JT, he's just talented, man. He's an entertainer, he's a, you know, he's a good looking dude. Max Martin, not so good looking, you know what I'm saying? Not so good looking. Not that he's ugly, if Casey ever watches this, he will never watch this, but. Everybody's singing Max Martin's song and they don't even know it. Because he's like a thought leader, right? He's an, he's an author, he's a writer. 
And that's what happens philosophically in our world. That's what happens to you, is you start, you start dancing to the philosophical songs of other people. You don't know their name, you never read their book, but other people have, and they've contextualized it, and you begin to absorb it, and all of a sudden you have these ideas that don't check out with the word of God, but it doesn't matter because cultures accept it something that feels right. It just makes sense. It's plausible. And that's the whole thing. It's not that the ideologies of the world don't make sense. It's that they just don't align with God. And so therein lies the problem. So again, you might not know Gully, Philip Gully, but you know his ideas because they're permeating our society. We live by the ideology that's given to us and often we're often unaware of who wrote the script. We're just unaware. And so we're trying to make you aware. An example of this is a French philosopher named Jacques Derrida. How many of you have ever heard of Jacques Derrida? All right, a couple of you, right? Jacques Derrida, if you're in Hot Topics, all of you are like, yeah, yeah. There's Mr. Jacques. Come on. Just got the pipe there. He's just a good looking dude, right? Jacques Derrida, he lived from 1930 to 2004, and he's known as the father of deconstruction. Deconstructionism is an approach to critiquing literature, ideas, and institutions, okay? And uh, it's uh, Derrida believed that we must stop basing everything in society off of absolute truth. Now, his story is very interesting. You can go and listen to literally days worth of, uh, of people teaching about Derrida, uh, uh, professors teaching about Derrida. Um, but he was a philosopher, and like any other philosopher, they throw out a lot of ideas, they throw out a lot of complicated, convoluted things that are very complex ideas, and, and they put it out there into society, and people begin to eat on it, and then people begin to take what they think he said, and they begin to apply it, and then you get like certain versions of what someone says generation after generation, and so people will refer back, well, it's kind of like how Derrida said, if they're, if they're sympathetic to his ideas, they'll, they'll They'll shape them in a positive way, in a very optimistic view. And then you have others who think he was crazy, basically, okay? And then they'll take his ideas, they're pessimistic, and they'll, they'll show what's wrong with those ideas. But what's, what's nuts is that over time, even people who what they say really doesn't have a lot of truth or validity to it, or it doesn't even make sense, if people contextualize it right over time, it becomes truth. In a society, in a culture, it becomes truth. And so that's what's happened with a lot of his ideas. But under, in, in his idea, any institution, book, or idea that holds to an absolutism needs to be deconstructed, potentially destroyed, in order for people to be freed from its oppressive or its manipulative results. That's the perspective. But it, it, there's a, it's, a destru it's destructive in nature. It's destructive in nature. Um, I wanna give you an example of something. Um, I've been married, me and my wife have been married for uh, 16 years, all right? And we started dating when we were 14, so we're 23 years in, okay? And um, we, we love each other, we have a great marriage, we have a couple girls, we, we, great life. The other day we were in the house and like dating English was like, man, we got a good life. I was like, yes, we do. Things are great, right? Our girls are four and 10. I'll let you know in a couple of years what's going on, all right? So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we have a great marriage, but it's because we, we try to focus on and accentuate the things that we love about each other. 
But did you know that we could go from a great marriage to a horrible marriage in a matter of days or even weeks by simply doing one thing, questioning each other, questioning our motives, questioning every little thing about each other. And before you know it, the, the foundation of our marriage will be undermined and we'll have a terrible marriage. Honestly, half of you, just a little nugget about your marriage. If you would stop thinking so much and stop focusing so much on what you don't like about your spouse, who you vowed your life to, um, if you would start focusing on who, what you love about them and what drew you to one another, your, your perspective of them will change overnight. Little nugget there. But anyway, what is that? That would be, like, that would be me deconstructing our marriage. It's just one example of trying to illustrate this thought process. It's not that hard to do question every, well, why did you say it that way? Well, what, no, why do you, where, what, what, and all of a sudden, I don't want to see your face. It's not that hard. I mean, I was, that sounded kind of tough. What did I say last week? It sounded really tough when I was going to go, anyway, we're not going to go back there. There was a gasp in the audience. But guys, that's what happens left and right. And so whenever it comes to deconstructionism in a society, it's the same effect that begins to take place. Now, Whenever we talk about how destructive deconstruction can be um, in one way, I also want to be fair because there's another way that's honestly, it's just, it's kind of a natural process. Uh, if you study like child development, then you know that deconstructionism applies to child development. Uh, a child is born and from the age of zero up till about 10 to 12, somewhere up in there, they're in a full construction phase. All right, that's why parenting is so important. You're literally shaping what your kids think about everything. All right, you are. It's, it's, you have a lot of responsibility. But what happens in every single kid is at some point, maybe at 12, maybe 15, they go through a deconstruction phase where they deconstruct the things that they've been taught their whole life. All of you have done it. Most of us just call it the rebellious teenage years. We're like, why can't you just listen to what I said? It's like if the kid could actually speak, you know, philosophically, they'd be like, well, Father, it's because I'm deconstructing everything that you've taught me. We need to have conversations about this. But they don't. They're just like, because I don't want to. All right. But they're deconstructing, okay? And, and, and it's actually natural and it's actually good. Because what follows the deconstruction phase is a reconstruction phase, okay? I believed everything my parents told me for a long time. And all of a sudden, I'm... My, my, you know, 15, 16, 17, and I'm like, why did they always? It's why you can't just say no to your 16-year-old kid. You have to explain why you're saying no or yes. You have to explain the thought process behind what you're doing. They need that. And if you don't, resentment sets in and your relationship's broken apart. So I, I, I want to be fair to the word but there is a destructive way of deconstructing that our society has adopted, and it's not the positive thing that, that we're talking about here with child development. I think of Derrida's deconstructionism kind of like chemotherapy, okay? Whenever someone gets cancer, has cancer uh, and they go through chemo, the chemo is a poison that's injected into their body, and it you know, hopefully kills the cancer but it also kills the good with the bad, right? And there are certain philosophies that are no different than chemo. They're injected into people's minds and hearts or they're injected into a society and it's almost like an experiment. Let's see what happens. 
We could talk for a while about things like critical theory, and, and there's a whole lot of other things that we, could, we could speak about. It's the same thing. It's all under the umbrella of postmodern thought, and it's, it's questioning the foundational truths in so many areas. Ultimately, as we'll speak about here in a moment, it's just questioning truth altogether. But that's the world that we live in, and so it's chemotherapy being injected in. And, and honestly, we don't know the results of a lot of these types of thinking. We don't. We're, we're, everything's kind of being formed in front of us. We're taking a step and the ground's being formed underneath us. And some people have been blowing the horn on this philosophy for a long time. You can go back into the 90s and the 80s and, and begin to see people kind of saying, hey, man, these thoughts are toxic for a society. But we just start eating on them. And, and by the way, these thoughts are pervasive and normal in universities and they're being, they've been pumped into the humanities for generations now. And so that's why we have professors who are continuing to, to teach these things from a positive standpoint. And if you're going to college, you are going to encounter a lot of these, these thought processes, okay? So just kind of throwing it out there for you to kind of chew on a little bit. But here's the deal. Dara's approach is also being used to deconstruct Christianity, because Christianity is thought of as an oppressive ideology that needs to be deconstructed. So it's not like we're just talking about you know, things out in society. It, it, it's coming at specifically in, in what we're talking about today, it's coming at Christianity, this deconstruction mindset. Uh, Alisa Childers uh, summarizes this well in her book, Another Gospel, which I would highly recommend you guys pick up her book. You can also go follow her on YouTube and stuff. She has a lot of great conversations with a lot of uh, people around the things that we're talking about. But she says this, dismantling of doctrinal tenets where all the beliefs someone was raised with and had never questioned are systematically pulled apart is something progressive Christians call deconstruction. All right, so what we just talked about as far as child development and all that kind of stuff, all the beliefs someone was raised with, never questioned, are systematically pulled apart. Okay, we're gonna speak about that here in a moment because that is a process in our life that, that is going to happen whether you want it to or not, okay? So again, uh, we wanna give both sides of this. But, but with that mindset right there of deconstructing Christianity, there are two categories of people who are critiquing Christianity today with two different goals. And the first category of people are uh, progressive Christians, and we put, you know, kind of like um, parentheses around progressive Christians. Uh, you can go ahead and put that next slide up. The first group of people critiquing Christianity are progressive Christians and non-Christians who are deconstructing Christianity that ultimately leads to a destruction of the church and its traditional orthodoxy, which is just right belief. Okay, so there, there's this category here of people. Um, I, I kind of want to give you another word picture. So, if you buy a house and you want to remodel this house, whenever you begin to walk through the house, you begin to look at the walls and the flooring, maybe the smell, okay? And you begin to determine how much work needs to be done in this house. How much work needs to be done? I mean, do we just need to change the carpet? Do we, I mean, is this an easy flip, man? Do we just like change the lighting fixtures and do a couple little things and then just, you know, cut the grass, put a little landscaping in and roll with it? Or do we need to tear up all the flooring? Or do we need to tear some of the sheetrock out? Um, I, I got a friend who they were gonna do some remodeling in their house and they, they took down the sheetrock and lo and behold, behind the sheetrock was mold. Or uh, uh, I'm sorry, not mold, it was uh, termites. Termite damage in the studs. And I was like, oh, we'll just change out a couple of these studs over here. And then it was like, uh, I think it's more than just a couple studs. Ends up being basically the whole bottom level of the whole house. You know, so sometimes you start 
you know, deconstructing, you start taking things down and it's like at every level, you're sort of finding something that maybe needs more work, but also there's a part of the decision process that you just have to say and ask, how far are we gonna go with this? Because at some point, you might be, begin to think, hey, let's just tear up the whole foundation and let's just build a whole brand new house. And so when it comes to deconstructionists, when it comes to Christianity, to the question of how far do we go, the answer would be all the way. It would be, let's start from scratch. Let's find a new canon of scripture. Let's, let's go all the way down. And here's the, here's the crazy thing about it, y'all. Because the, the idea is this. If we go all the way down, given all of our intellect, given the fact that we have the internet now, and and rebuild something, we're gonna build something back that was better than what was before because we're smarter than other generations. And to me, it's no different than just the Tower of Babel because what happens is typically when we're talking about deconstructing Christianity, the deconstruction's happening and what's being rebuilt is not Christianity at all. It's a mixture of like 10 different religions potentially that are all kind of welded together. And it's like, look, isn't it beautiful? It reminds me of the children of Israel who create this calf out of gold. They just melt it together. What, like Aaron said, it just popped out. Don't know. It just popped out. We out the fire and oh, everybody works. No, dude. No, everybody brought something to the table and nobody stood up and said, this is wrong. Nobody stood up and said, this is wrong. And we're called to stand up and say, this isn't right, y'all. Look what the Bible says. It's not an antiquated traditional book that needs to be thrown out that's just full of suggestions and allegory. This is the word of God, our creator, that's been given to us to sustain us and point us to truth. So that's what we believe and that's what we have to hold fast to. So these, the, the three areas that are really deconstructed with these people, with these types of people, and, uh, and what I wanna say about this is it's an extreme skepticism. Deconstructionism is an extreme skepticism about whatever it is seeking to deconstruct. Extreme skepticism. And it is skeptical about, uh, and they are skeptical, uh, first of all, about methodology, which is how the church accomplishes the mission of Jesus. Number two, they're extremely skeptical of the ecclesiology, which is kind of the institutions uh, of the church, the value of gathering people uh, and the importance of the institution, the governance of the church. Very, very extremely skeptical about those things. And, uh, and most importantly, they're, they're very skeptical about theology. Now, these things are exactly the, it's the same framework that Derrida was, was proposing about institutions and literature and ideas. And whenever somebody does that in, in society and takes that sa those same tools and begins to work on Christianity, you're eventually gonna go straight at theology. And, that, and that's, that's the foundation of where everything comes from. So it's the ideas, the beliefs, the literature of the church. And again, it uh, attacks the authority of the Bible and the Bible's truth claims. And we're gonna cover this right here. The truth claims about the Bible, um, including the power of the atonement and the path to salvation. 
And um, I, I alluded to this over the last couple of months teaching uh, about Rahab through every location, but the atonement is one of the, the it's one of the hinges that a lot of this uh, rests on. And so we're gonna, I'm not gonna go there today. We're gonna, we're gonna keep moving for today. But, um, but we're, we're gonna dig into a lot of these things. So, so here's the deal. In, in this first category, some people go on this journey and it erodes the foundations of their faith and they fully deconstruct from Christianity altogether. Okay, they, they, they leave the faith, they're out, done, I'm, I'm nothing, I have nothing to do with that because of all these things. But uh, others partially deconstruct and potentially end up in a progressive Christianity that often adopts heretical doctrines. Okay, so, so in this one category, there's a spectrum of people that kind of, it, it falls out differently in different timelines, but it, it's not a good result. Um, now, one thing I wanna say quickly, when I talk about people that are questioning things, what I am not saying is I'm not saying not to ask questions. And, and I wanna be extremely clear about this. Uh, especially if you grew up in church, sometimes there's this subconscious thing that's kind of communicated where it's like, hey, don't ask questions because if you ask questions, that's doubt and unbelief and uh, you know, th- there's no place in your, in your walk with God for that. Just, and so what you end up doing is sweeping it under the rug and ignoring it until one day you can't anymore. And typically you run out and you, and, and you, you lock arms maybe with other people or a, another faith or no faith at all because it just seems like there's something like, man, this is a safe place that I can really work out what I, my, my thoughts, but I couldn't do that in the church. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I've had so many questions in the past and I still have a lot of questions today. Faith is not about not having questions. Okay, that's not what it is. Doubt is different than unbelief. Unbelief is, 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 is another conversation. And so if you're doubting some things today, you're in a great place. Don't, don't feel uh, condemned or, or, like you, or like nobody else sitting next to you doesn't have the same issue that you're having, okay? Let's take the mask off when it comes to this. So I'm not saying don't ask questions. I'm just saying it's important how we ask them and what questions we ask and what resources we go to. Uh, One interesting point about progressive Christians is that most progressive Christians are former Christians who have deconstructed. You're not gonna find a lot of people who've been converted into progressive Christianity because what is there to convert to? We're gonna dig next week, in the beginning of next week's teaching, we're gonna dig into really describing and defining progressive Christianity in a more detailed way. I know I'm throwing out some things that maybe you're like, yeah, I need to know what that means. This is a seven-week series, okay? You gotta you got listen to all seven weeks to get the whole, the whole picture here. But, um, but we have scriptures that warn us about these ideas. Second Timothy says this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, what's funny to me, side note, is that a lot of people have used this scripture and uh, they'll typically talk about like different styles of churches and they'll be like, oh, there, see, look at them. Look at them, these churches, they actually have coffee at the church. Man, look at them, they're just watering down the truth. and, you know, they're just, just, just trying to get people to show up for those itching ears. I mean, Paul talked about it. He told Timothy. He, and I'm like, man, what a, what a horrible uh, application of that scripture. What we're talking about today is actually something that this scripture would apply to. 
People who are twisting truth, twisting scripture in order to uh, uh, swoon and, and, and manipulate Christians and, and feed them something that is not Christianity and call it Christianity, and people are wandering off into myths, left and right, left and right. You know, I don't, I don't know how much you guys pay attention but, um, to like this kind of stuff, but uh, if you've kind of been in the Christian world, like on social media, you've seen a lot of, uh, of artists, like music, musicians and stuff, who have deconstructed, right? They've deconstructed their faith, and they're, they're, they're questioning things. And, um, and, and that's what it looks like when these ideas that we're going to be tackling over the next few weeks take root and begin to sprout. You see people all saying the same things, asking questions that actually have some, some very good biblical orthodox answers, but they've been listening and they've been brought off into myths that are nothing more than a repeat of other uh, you know, Gnostic texts and, and hidden knowledge and mysticism and spiritualism that have been dealt to each generation over and over and over for thousands of years. And so, again, that's why we're talking about this. Second uh, Peter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Have you guys uh, ever seen the picture of the, uh, um, uh, the Trojan horse like the meme and it's like this little cartoon. It's like a little Trojan horse that's sitting outside and you know, there's the people talking and you could see inside the wooden horse and you see the little guys that are ready. If you don't know the story of the Trojan horse, go YouTube that later today. But, uh, but there, th this is a, a Trojan horse in the church for our generation, progressive thoughts. That this, is, this, is a, this is a Trojan horse for our generation, okay? And so, uh, so I believe that Peter and Paul are blowing the whistle on that for us here today. Now, that's the first group. The second group is this. It's reforming Christians who are seeking to move the church toward Je towards Jesus's uh, original intent. Now, there are some who say they are deconstructing and they are actually in this category of reforming or reevaluating or renewing their faith. And I believe that these are better word choices as far as who you are aligning yourself with. I think we, do y'all know words have a lot of power, right? <laughs> okay. And so if I say a certain phrase, I'm aligning myself with those people who think that way. And also I then point other people to people who are saying those words. And so we've gotta be very careful about the terminology that we use because some people don't realize when they say they are deconstructing that they are actually aligning themselves with a whole nother philosophical approach to how to live. And as you begin to, to uh, imbibe those ideas and absorb those ideas, um, everything else that comes with that begins to take root as well. So, uh, so it's reforming Christians. Now, now, here's the deal. Some people are saying they're deconstructing whenever they are really just critically thinking about those things for the first time. Okay? Some of the artists that I just talked about, that, that's what you'd find with them. They, they're deconstructing. Honestly, they're just asking some questions at 35 years of age that they didn't ask whenever they were 18. And it's okay to ask questions, okay? We're gonna ask questions. But, but it's like, hey man, give it, just give it a little bit of time. 
seek some wise counsel, seek some biblical counseling, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and, and seek God about these things, but don't just rush to, to associate yourself with an entire group of people who are, uh, who are leaving the faith. Um, now, now, some people who are deconstructing, I do wanna say this, progressive Christians and even people who find themselves here, some of them are, um, they're in this place because they were mistreated, uh, they were abused in churches, uh, maybe Christian leaders who manipulated them and uh, kind of conflated uh, manipulative tactics and scripture all together and sort of held that over their head and they are reacting to that, right? Which if, if you went through abuse, you, you, you almost like, you wanna run away as far as you can from anything that even feels close to that, okay? And so some of this, I understand it, I get it. But again, we don't have to negate or run from truth, run too far away, you know what I'm saying, uh, as a reaction to that. So I, 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 wanna be, I wanna be sensitive to that reality in some people's lives as well. But there is and always will be a need for reform and critical thinking in the church. I would encourage critical thinking. Okay, like everything that we say from the pulpit, I get it. There's a filter between you and me that says, like how can I actually trust what you're saying? I do the same thing, okay? So there's a critical thinking. However, there's also, there's also a place where you can question everything into the ground and not receive from anybody. I need to go do my research. You know what I'm saying? Everything's research. And here's the funny thing about research <clears throat> is that you're just going read somebody else's research, okay? And, and depending what you search and depending how Google want, what Google wants to feed you, you're going to come to some philosophical and ideological conclusions based upon what or whom. And it's why we ask the question, what or who is informing your philosophy? So we wanna critically think, but we have to critically think critically. <laughs> some people call things critical thinking, and it's like, nah, man, you're just kind of, you're cherry picking. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the same laws, anyway, okay, gotta keep moving. We're wrapping up, guys, uh, for today. So, so, so where are we at? Well, we reform the church, believers reform the church by continually returning to the truth and being formed by that truth, continually. Hey guys, we never graduate from the things that I'm talking about right now. We're never done wrestling with the things that we're talking about. Welcome to Christianity. Some of us were born and we've been raised up in the heyday of evangelicalism and Christianity and it felt like kind of society was kind of all on the same page around morals and different things and, and now it's not and now a lot of people are like, oh no, everybody's going to hell in a handbasket. Like it hasn't been going to hell in a handbasket since sin entered into the equation. You know what I'm saying? Like that, yeah, that's why God sent Jesus. Because of that, because of that reality. And so let's not be surprised, but let's have our eyes wide open. We believe that Jesus is the truth. That's what we believe. We believe that Jesus, why? Because he said it in his word, in the word of God. He says this in John 14. This is where we're gonna close. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Most of you could have read, you know, quoted that scripture from memory, but do you believe what it says? Yeah. That, that in Christ is the mystery of God, that there are worldly philosophies, empty deceit that seek to take us off track from Jesus, and that we are to hold fast to the scripture, hold fast to the scripture. 
when it's uncomfortable, when it makes sense, and whenever we have to do some more research, come on, all right, that we're gonna hold fast to the word by faith in the finished work of Christ. So that's what I wanna encourage you with today, that we are ambassadors of Christ in a culture that is aggressively opposing the teachings of Jesus, and we are called to engage this culture with love, compassion, grace, and truth. Amen? Amen. I wanna, I wanna pray for us. I wanna pray for all locations today. And, uh, and then each pastor is gonna come up and we're gonna close out. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy for us. We thank you for the truth of your word. And God, as we embark on this journey as a church, God, I'm praying that you would expand our horizons, that you would expand our capacity to understand and to learn. God, to read your word. And Father, to see things that we have not seen before. God, that you would reveal the truth of your scripture that's based on Jesus, that's according to Christ, not according to humanism, not according to naturalism, not according to just a generic spiritualism, but Father, that's according to Christ. We, we submit to this process. God, I pray that you protect us every location, in our context, in our community. God, that you would give us wisdom in how to take this truth and to apply it to, to our relationships, to our families, our friends. God, that it, that it would truly be like the blinders are being pulled off of our eyes, that we could see truth clearly. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy once again. Father, that we are found in Christ. If there be anybody in any of these locations today or anybody watching online, God, that does not know you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, we pray for them right now, Lord, that you would continue to open up their hearts to see the truth of the gospel that's only found in Jesus, the good news of the cross, that we are saved by grace. We love you. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.